Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, I'll talk to the Ohio Secretary of State about the upcoming May primary election. We'll play the seven-minute testy exchange that took place in a subcommittee hearing this week in Washington between Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan and Dr. Anthony Fauci. Courtesy of our sister station, 10TV, Tracy Townsend covers a number of topics from the pandemic to school plans to the state fair. And I'll wrap up the hour with information about a blood shortage in central Ohio and how you can help. I'll talk to a couple of people from the Versity Blood Center of Ohio. First up on Columbus Perspective, joining me on the phone, he's in the car. It's Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose. How are you? I'm doing well, Dave. How are you? Good. Thanks for talking to us. Uh, The May 4th primary is coming up. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about that in a few minutes. But I wanted to ask you, too, associated with that is the Safe at Home program. Tell us what that's all about. Yeah, so this is a program that began a few years ago, actually when I was serving in the state Senate, and we were hearing these really heartbreaking stories of domestic abuse uh, survivors who had uh, not only been victimized by the criminal that, that hurt them, but also a second time by a state system that didn't protect their address if they wanted to register to vote. So we had uh, people coming in and, and, and telling these deeply personal stories uh, and talking about how they weren't registering to vote because they were afraid that their abuser would be able to then use the voter registration records to track them down. Obviously, that's something that had to change. Uh, we passed a bill that created a program called the Safe at Home Program. It's administered now by my office, the Ohio Secretary of State's office. We have hundreds of participants. Unfortunately, I'm sure that there are really thousands of Ohioans who could take advantage of this. And we're trying to spread the word, particularly this month, as April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month, uh, that uh, these courageous Ohioans who have survived this kind of trauma shouldn't be victimized a second time by having their address disclosed. And they certainly should be empowered to be a voter. And so uh, we're encouraging them uh, to visit our website, uh, which is uh, ohiosos.gov and to take advantage of the Safe at Home program. And this kind of goes into sort of a scary, dangerous, creepy aspect of domestic violence where somebody can actually go to the Secretary of State's website and see the address of people who are registered to vote. Yeah, so in Ohio and in most other states, the voter registration list is a public record. It's part of, uh, you know, being a civic participant that that information is available. Uh, And for most of us, that's not a problem. Uh, but uh, obviously, for these individuals, they need to be able to protect that address. Uh, I, I was out at, at, a, at a shelter uh, recently when uh, they were talking about how for those that come into their shelter, they help them to create a safety plan when they leave the shelter, when they restart their lives. And, and part of that is shielding that address so that your abuser can't track you down uh, because, uh, unfortunately, some of these individuals live in fear of that abuser for, for many years, and, uh, and so we want to obviously help them to stay safe. I would imagine through uh, domestic violence shelters is one of the main ways you get the word out? That's one of the ways that we're doing it. We've rebranded the program and, and refreshed it a little bit, brought some new team members on so that we can uh, scale it up and, and grow it, because, again, I know that there are more Ohioans who can take advantage of this. So, yes, those uh, domestic violence shelters... Uh, but also victim advocates and uh, law enforcement, for that matter, or judges uh, who come into contact with uh, domestic violence survivors. And uh, and although many of the program's participants are women, there are also uh, men who, who take advantage of it, who find themselves in a situation where maybe they have a stalker. 
someone who uh, could do the violence. And Secretary LaRose, uh, how do folks find out more information about that? Well, the website is ohiosos.gov, and the program is called the Safe at Home Program. You'll find information there at ohiosos.gov. Uh, it's ohiosos.gov slash safe at home. And uh, I believe that uh, that'll get you all the information that you're looking for. And uh, our team is eager to help anyone who needs more information. And again, uh, if you are currently seeking the services of a victim advocate or a domestic violence shelter, they can help you get more information about it as well. This uh, primary coming up on May 4th is uh, a big one from a local aspect around the state. This is the sort of election that a lot of times in previous years would draw at best, I'm guessing, 30 percent voter turnout. Uh, Is there any indication that those kind of numbers are going up as uh, people get more engaged in politics? You know, it's interesting because we have seen a really encouraging trend of increasing voter participation. And certainly uh, that's what we saw in 2016. That's what we saw in 2018. And in 2020, last year, we shattered all previous records. I mean, Talking with Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose, I know that you uh, oftentimes rely heavily on senior citizens helping at the polls on Election Day. Are they beginning to get back into the game now with the vaccine going around? You know, many are. Uh, as we've been telling people, if you feel safe and comfortable going to your uh, grocery store, you should feel comfortable coming to your polling location. All of the same kind of health and safety protocols that were in place last November will again be in place for this May's primary. What that means is personal protective equipment, mask wearing, shields, distancing, ample quantities of hand sanitizer available for everyone and and that kind of thing. And of course, many of us now have already taken advantage of the chance to uh, become vaccinated. I know my wife and I did just recently and certainly many of our co-workers did as well. And as much as we 
value and appreciate our longtime co-workers, those Ohioans uh, who have been doing it for many decades. We're also excited that last year we, I think, recruited a whole new generation of poll workers, particularly young Ohioans who stepped up and answered the call to duty. We had 56,000 poll workers last year trained and ready to go, and many of them for the first act. Uh, my hope is that many of them make a lifelong habit out of it and continue uh, to help perform this really important function for our clerks. Just a moment or so to go here with the Ohio Secretary of State, Frank LaRose. It really is, you know, when you look at, especially in a presidential election, it's just a mammoth effort for that to be done. You know, obviously there's a lot of mail-in voting as well, but it's still a, a huge operation on Election Day, and it's it's amazing how well they come off. You know, it's funny. My background is serving in the military. I, I served for 10 years uh, as an Army Green Beret, and now I'm, I'm serving again as a reservist. But so I talk in terms of the military sometimes, but I, I told people that 56,000 poll workers is like two infantry divisions full of poll workers, if you think about it. And there are 4,000 polling locations around the state staff in a completely bipartisan way, really a success story in a time where it feels like in Washington, Republicans and Democrats can't agree what day of the week it is at your county board of elections and at thousands of polling locations, Republicans and Democrats work really well together to do this important job. And last year, Ohio held what can only be called our most successful election ever with the highest participation rate, the lowest ballot rejection rate for voter mistakes, which we're really proud of. We drove that number down so that more people can have their voices heard. Ohio really is a national leader in elections, and that's something that we can be proud of here in Ohio. Secretary LaRose, anything else you'd like to add? Well, if you haven't uh, already, uh, make sure you participate in this May's primary if there is an election in your community, and consider voter registration. Uh, there is an 18-year-old in your life or someone you know who's recently moved to the state. Remind them that now's the time to go to voteohio.gov, get registered to vote so they can be a voter for this uh, fall election. And uh, please consider signing up to be a poll worker. Again, all of that is at voteohio.gov. And then again, all the information about being a safe and home participant is at ohiosos.gov slash safe and home. So thank you so much for the chance to spread the word. Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose, thanks for your time today. Thank you. How do you know if you or a loved one is at risk of problem gambling? By knowing the signs, such as borrowing money, hiding unpaid debts, bragging about wins, or just plain irritability. Sound familiar? Get Set Before You Bet is Ohio's initiative to help keep gambling safe and responsible for everyone. How does it work? Just visit BeforeYouBet.org to learn more and take the responsible gambling quiz. Together, we can keep gambling safe and responsible in Ohio. This message brought to you by Ohio for Responsible Gambling. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and Thanks for listening. If you're worried your friend may be struggling, remember, you don't have to be there to be there. You can say how while you will get a fake tattoo. You can ask with an app if it works for you. You can write him a text or knit him a sweater. If you can't be together, you can write him a letter. Whatever, whatever, whatever gets you talking. Whatever, whatever, whatever gets you talking. 
chat on the game, kick off your flip-flops. You can ask on your couch while you binge watch. However you do it, you gotta ask a friend. And if they don't share, you can ask again. Whatever, whatever, whatever gets you talking. Whatever, whatever, whatever gets you talking. Reach out to a friend about their mental health. Learn how you can help at SeizeTheAwkward.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, and the Jed Foundation. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. This week in Washington, during a meeting of the House Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Crisis, Congressman Jim Jordan of Urbana tangled with scientist and immunologist Dr. Anthony Fauci. Here it is. It runs just about seven minutes. The chair now recognizes Mr. Jordan for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Dr. Fauci, when is the time? In your written statement, you say now is not the time to pull back on masking, physical distancing and avoiding congregate settings. When is the time? When do Americans get their freedom back? Can you put your microphone, please? When we get the level of infection in this country low enough that it is not a really high. Threat. What is low enough? Give me a number. What, I mean, we, we had 15 days to slow the spread, turned into one year of lost liberty. What metrics, what measures... What has to happen before yeah. Americans get my, their freedoms? Back? My message, uh, Congressman Jordan, is to get as many people vaccinated as quickly as we possibly can to get the level of infection in this country low, that it is no longer a threat. That is when. And I believe when that happens, you will see. What determines when? I'm sorry. What? What measure? What, I mean, are, are we just going to continue this forever? Or when does when does no. when do we get to the point? What measure? What standard? What objective uh, outcome do we have to reach before before Americans get their liberty and freedoms back? You know, I, you're indicating liberty and freedom. I look at it as a public health measure to prevent people from dying and going to the hospital. You don't think Americans liberties have been threatened the last year, Dr. Fauci? They've been assaulted. Their liberties have. I don't look at this as a liberty thing, Congressman Jordan. Well, that's obvious. As a public health thing. But, but, uh, the, I disagree with you, you on that. You think the Constitution complete. is suspended during, a, during a, a, a virus, during a pandemic? It's certainly not. This will end for sure when we get the level of infection very low. It is now at such a high level there's a threat, again, of major surges. Dr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci, over the last year, Americans' First Amendment rights have been completely attacked. Your right to go to church, your right to assemble, your right to petition your government, freedom of the press, freedom of speech have all been assaulted. I mean, for a year now, Americans haven't been able to go to church. Even today, when they go to church, they're limited in the size of, of, of worshipers who can meet. Your right to assemble? Oh, my goodness. We had a curfew last fall in Ohio. You had to be in your home at 10. In Pennsylvania, you had to be in your home. Uh, when you're in your home, you had to wear a mask. In Vermont, when you're in your home, you didn't have to wear a mask, Dr. Fauci, because you weren't allowed to have yeah. people over to your house. Yeah, yeah. Congressman Jordan. Your ability are... to petition your government well, for a year, for a year, American citizens haven't been able to come to their capital to petition their government to talk to their representatives and freedom of the press. These very pictures that Representative Scalise just showed you and talked about, Guess what? The press isn't allowed in those facilities. The press is not. The Biden administration will not let the press in there. 
And certainly freedom of speech. I mean, freedom of... Governor of our third largest state meets with with physicians, and that and that's that that video is censored because they dare to disagree with Dr. Fauci. So I just want to know when do Americans get their First Amendment liberties back? You know, I don't think anything was censured because they felt they couldn't disagree with me. I think you're pers- you're pers- making this a personal thing, and it isn't. It's not a personal thing. No, you are. That is exactly what you're doing. No, your recommendations carry a lot of weight, Dr. Fauci. We just had the, the chair yeah. of the Financial Services Committee said she loves you, and you're the greatest thing in the world. Will my the recommendations are consistent. Will the gentleman yield? No, it's my, it's my no, time. Can I answer the question, please? My recommendations are not a personal recommendation. It's based on the CDC guidance, which is which is. And which I'm asking the question: What measures have to be attained before yeah. Americans get their First Amendment liberties back? I just told you that. I no, you haven't you. given anything specific. You said we hope when this. Thir- Tell me specifically. Right now, right now, we have about sixty thousand infections a day, which is a very large risk for a surge. We're not talking about liberties. We're talking about a pandemic that has killed 560,000 Americans. I, I, and I That's get that, what we're Doc, talking about. And, and I don't disagree with that. And I understand how serious that is. But I also stand it's pretty serious when businesses have been shut down. People can't go to church. People can't assemble in their own homes with their friends, with their families. People can't go to a loved one's funeral. People can't get to their government, petition their representative to redress their grievances. Right. I also understand the First Amendment's pretty darn important. And it's been a year. And I want to know when right. Americans will get those First Amendment liberties right. back. Well, you just said people cannot assemble in their own homes. They can. That's a CDC recommendation for vaccination. Not last people. fall they couldn't. I'm, I didn't hear. Not that. last fall they couldn't. I, I didn't hear what he said. The gentleman's time has expired. Um, I'll give you one instance of when we can get our liberties back. It's been 90 percent. Of the members I, of the United States Congress getting vaccinated. Well, I want to know if that's what Dr. Fauci is. It ninety percent, Dr. I'm, Fauci? Is it ninety percent? That's what I'm. That, that's what I'd like to know. Give me some. Give us some objective standards versus when certain things get reached, we might be able to get back to having our liberty. When? What are the numbers? Well, You're going to see a gradual. Uh, from the right now, we're at an unacceptably high level. We're at, on a daily basis. It's unacceptably high regardless of who you are. What you're going to see as more and more people get vaccinated and we get over 3 million people a day, you're going to see the level of infection come down and down and gradually there will be more flexibility for doing the things that you're talking Where about. Where does it get to? When it comes down, what number do we get our liberties back? Tell me the number. Tell when me the number. When 90% of the members of Congress get vaccinated. But you're not a doctor, Mr. Clyburn. He is. What is the number? I can't Thank give you for recognizing me, Mr. Clyburn. Thank you. You cannot recognize this uh, for five I'd minutes. I'd like my question Ms. answered. I don't, I don't want, reclaiming I don't want, my time. I reclaiming my time. Regular order. Regular order. No, just a moment. Mr. Mr. Chairman, Mr. Chairman, I don't want you to answer my question. The American people want Dr. Fauci to answer well, the question. What does it have to be? Expire, sir. If you need to respect the chair and shut your mouth. Don't worry about this. We, we, we're going to handle this. And I think Mr. Jordan knows me very well. And he knows full well that we're going to handle this. Your time has expired, and the chair now recognizes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Congressman Jim Jordan, a Republican from Urbana, 
tangling with Dr. Anthony Fauci this week during a meeting of the House Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Crisis. Hey, this is Kevin Love from the Cleveland Cavaliers. At times, life can feel scary, which can leave us hurting and feeling overwhelmed with anxiety. Now, more than ever, we need to be kind to ourselves, kind to our mental health, and find some time and space in these tough times. Mindfulness is something that's helped me, and I hope it can help you too. My nonprofit is partnering with Headspace to offer you free content that can ease those feelings of anxiety. It's as easy to do as this. Take a big, deep breath, in through the nose, out through the mouth. In and out. Just breathing. In and out. Head to kevinlovefund.org slash headspace and be kind to your mind. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Here's Tracy. Franklin County is turning purple, the highest level on the state's COVID-19 health advisory map. What's causing the spike in cases? Even though the restrictions on outdoor gatherings are easing up across Ohio, the state fair will not be open to the public. You're going to hear why organizers made that call. And as more and more people get the COVID-19 vaccine, we asked a local expert if your boss can require you to get it. Let me say thank you so much for joining us today for Face the State. I'm Tracy Townsend. Ohio is seeing an uptick in COVID-19 cases at a time when the vaccine rollout is ramping up and the health orders are easing up. On the latest public health advisory map, Franklin County is moving from a county with high exposure in that red level to one with severe exposure. And it's in response to the increasing case numbers. The state diverted 1,100 more doses of the vaccine to Franklin County. Governor Mike DeWine says there's also a sustained increase in the number of hospitalizations. Statewide, the variants are spreading more. Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff, the state's chief medical officer, explained that our variant counts jumped from 92 on March 12th to 797. And I am confident that we will see more and more. And quite frankly, I think within the next couple of weeks, the variant will be the virus that we are dealing with. The increase in cases statewide pushed us further away from removing health orders. Cases per 100,000 people. We need to get to 50, five zero cases per 100,000 for two weeks before the health orders are dropped. The state is not anywhere close to reaching that goal. And we here at 10TV have been getting your email messages asking if the mask mandate has been lifted. Short answer from the Ohio Department of Health. No. And they cite the data we just referenced about the case numbers per 100,000 people. But here's the longer answer. At one point, the mask mandate was rescinded, but then added to a new order that still requires you to wear a mask outside when you cannot socially distance yourself. Ohio's newly simplified pandemic restrictions do ease up on outdoor gatherings like graduations and festivals. But the Olentangy local school district is sticking to the plan it used last year for graduation. 
that's not sitting well with parents. 10TV's Clay Gordon looks at what went into the decision and the backlash. As the tech-savvy hybrid remote whirlwind of a school year winds down. I was very, very excited to have my daughter graduate this year, and I was very much looking forward to things coming out of the pandemic. I was very surprised that we're repeating um, the same type of graduation ceremony that uh, they had last year. We hoped for a full graduation. We have to do something to try to to try to change change this. When these four women, mothers of seniors at Olentangy Local School District, heard that this year's graduation was going to be like 2020's pandemic-style commencement, they reached out to meet with Superintendent Mark Rafe. The purpose of the meeting was really just to have our voices be heard. It's about our students and giving them the closure that they need uh, to finish out this year. Um, And so we really have had, you know, we feel like the district has been reasonable. They're evaluating all the points that we put before them. These parents are asking for a more traditional style commencement walk outside. They say they were able to pitch this proposal to him Wednesday. We feel that having our outdoor graduation in our own um, high school stadiums would give the kids just that final experience. There are plenty of schools, districts that are having their uh, ceremony outside using their own stadiums. Um, And so our plan really is rain or shine. 10TV spoke with the superintendent on Tuesday. The feedback I'd like to get from people is let's see what else we can add to what we're already planning on doing. If there are other ways we can make that better, because there are things we may not have thought of. His office said he was unavailable for a new comment. Mr. Rafe agreed it was a doable plan. Um, He assured us that he would take it to the board um, and to the principals of the high schools and uh, look over it, evaluate it with them. A timetable before a final decision is made was not given. In Delaware County, Clay Gordon, 10TV News. We do have more from the Olentangy Local Schools Superintendent right now for you at 10TV.com. That's where you can also find the proposal submitted to the district by the mothers you saw in that report. Now, for the Ohio State Fair, the rides, concerts, food vendors not happening this year. Instead, the fair will be focused on livestock competitions, and it will only be open to family and guests. 10TV's Olivia Eugenio explains what led to that move. For Schmidt's house, the Ohio State Fair is more than a fair. If the fair happened, we were there from 1914 on. It's a tradition. The band started playing Happy Birthday to George Schmidt, our founder, when he was was eight or nine years old. And that was an ongoing tradition up, up until he passed away. When Schmidt's house heard the fair in July would not be open to the public and instead only to the family and friends of participants of agricultural and educational competitions, they were disappointed. Schmidt's house, just like some who commented on the 10TV Facebook page, thought the fair would happen this year, especially with the governor's new health orders, which said groups of 10 are allowed to go to festivals and events as long as they stay six feet apart. So what went into the decision? The Ohio Expositions Commission met expressing their concerns. 
Our concerts are what drive people in the gate. The fair typically costs $8.5 million to put on, but only makes about $9 million. A lot of that profit coming from concerts. Part of the governor's order, indoor venues are only allowed 25% capacity. We would have such limited capacity in the Celeste Center and no outdoor venues to speak of that would hold the capacity that we need in order to even afford to bring the acts in. We have no opportunity to actually make money. So for most of us, the tradition will just have to wait until 2022. We can't wait to, to get back to that. Olivia Eugenio, 10TV News. The fair is set to begin on July 19th and it will run until August 7th. Colleges and universities across Ohio open vaccination clinics. It's part of a push from Governor Mike DeWine to get as many students vaccinated before the end of the semester. But when it comes to being required to get vaccinated, right now most administrators are not moving in that direction. Otterbein, Ohio State, Kent State, and Miami University all told 10TV that they are not considering requiring the vaccine at this time. Denison University administrators say their decision will come in the near future. We did ask students at Otterbein what they think about all of this. I feel like that's a little hard to do just because a lot of people have their beliefs and you can't really, I feel like it's hard to force someone to get a vaccine, uh, especially like when it's so new. I understand where the universities would be coming from, but I also think that it should be a personal choice and that people should be able to consult with their doctor and decide what's best for them. Local high schools also have vaccination clinics underway. This is an effort spearheaded by Nationwide Children's Hospital. The Westerville City School District had a clinic. We talked with the mother whose student goes to Westerville Central High School, and that mother says she's feeling relieved. Angie Heath and her family actually had COVID toward the end of 2020. She and her husband, both teachers, have been vaccinated. She wants her 16-year-old vaccinated, and she says she was relieved when she heard her teenager would be able to get the Pfizer vaccine right on school grounds during school hours. Employed at a pet supplies place close by our house, and so she's considered a 1B worker. So I've been trying for months to get her her vaccination. And then, of course, at the end of March, when it opened up to, you know, ages 16 and older are eligible, I've even been trying since then without any luck. So, yeah, I've been real frustrated to run into barrier after barrier um, trying to get it. President Biden moved up the date to have all Americans eligible to be vaccinated. Many people are curious if they will be required to get vaccinated. One legal expert says when it comes to your employer, the answer is yes. Yeah, your employer, the EEOC says, can uh, mandate that you get the vaccine in order to have continued employment at a workplace. The employer has to decide that uh, not having the vaccine would be a direct threat to the workplace. And so just like bed bugs or any other kinds of cooties that you might bring into the workplace, the employer can decide that you have to do something about that in order to be there. They have to give some exceptions that we can talk about, but employers are allowed to do that according to the feds. And so can we talk about those exemptions? Because I'm thinking about people who might have some sort of um, religious reason for not getting vaccinated or something. No, you're, you're dead on. That's exactly right. So if you have a religious exception or uh, something uh, akin to a disability, if you have a medical reason not to do so, the employer has to give exceptions for that. And so, so long as their program and their policy, uh, even if it requires a vaccine, gives exceptions for both religion and disability, then they can have a legal program to do that. 
Does it matter if I work for um, a private company or if I work for a public entity? It doesn't. Um, both public and private uh, can can mandate it. And, and, you know, we might expect that I'll call them forward facing uh, businesses might be more interested in mandating it. But, you know, even the county coroner works with other coroners. You know, you, you still uh, interact with your co-employees. And so everybody has some reason to want to have a safe workplace in that way. The uh, Department of Health just allowed 25% of the vaccine starting next week to go to employers for employer programs. And so what, what we've seen um, more often than um, people mandating it, employers will, will try to make it convenient in the same way that you have a flu vaccine at, at work and the you, typically the health insurer will bring it in and distribute it. Uh, I think we'll see more of that in the future. I've asked for my own workplace. They're not ready to do that. They don't know how to do that. I'm hoping they figure that out. You know? And Mark Landis says that we should also look to some sort of subtle coercion. Perhaps if you want to go to a certain concert, they will only let you in if you have been vaccinated. So we'll stay on top of that and share that information with you. Now, let's talk about Senator Rob Portman's seat. Each week, more people drop out of the running or jump in. Up next, a look at who just launched a campaign and who says no thanks. Plus, the controversial stand your ground law kicked into effect in our state. You'll hear from people who are against that change. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. Pass it on. Now's the time to stay apart. Social distancing. But I'm adding something else. Pull together. What's pulling together while we're staying apart? It's calling family to check in on them. It's waving to your neighbor. It's the things we should have been doing all along. And when this tragedy passes and we're able to come together, we'll be stronger than ever because we've already pulled together. Stay apart. Pull together. Pass it on. From PassItOn.com. This is my new best friend, Esther. She might look like any normal, playful puppy, but Esther's being raised to become a canine companions for independence assistance dog for a person with a disability. To get there, she needs lots of love and care and attention, plenty of exercise, and good eating habits so that she can live a long and healthy life for her future family. And she needs to spend tons of time socializing, learning basic commands like sit and stay, and taken to fun places with lots of distractions so that she can learn to cope in every situation. All of this will prepare Esther for more professional training to become a real assistance dog and a life helping a person with a disability to live more independently. Are you ready to open your heart and home for 18 months to a puppy like Esther? To find out more about becoming a canine companion for Independence Puppy Raiser or about other volunteer opportunities, visit cci.org or call 1-800-572-BARK. Raise a puppy, change a life. You can make a world of difference in the life of a person with a disability. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. Pull out, shoot first, and think about it later. To shoot and kill, to me, it's like opening up Pandora's box for anyone to just shoot and kill at will. 
Ohioans who legally own a gun can shoot and kill someone anywhere if they have true belief that their life is in danger. That's under a new law that kicked in. Until now, the state used what's called the Castle Doctrine, meaning you could only use lethal force if you are in your home or in your car. As 10TV's Kevin Landers explains, the no-duty-to-retreat law allows for the use of lethal force, even if that force can be avoided by retreating. After the tragic shooting in Dayton that left nine Ohioans dead, those in support of solutions to gun violence hoped Governor Mike DeWine would be true to his word and, quote, do something. People like Sheila Bradshaw, a member of Moms Demand Action, which promotes gun safety. DeWine, our governor, came to Dayton and said that he was going to do something. This is definitely not to do something. This, this is not it. She's talking about Senate Bill 175, Ohio's no duty to retreat law, signed by Governor DeWine in January. It's like returning to the wild, wild west. Ohio's Stand Your Ground bill extends the right to defend yourself beyond your car and home, something the Buckeye Firearms Association, a pro-gun group, pushed for. I'm not necessarily making the argument that it makes people safer or that it's going to reduce crime or anything like that. For me, this is about just the right of self-defense. If there's any right that any of us have... It's to defend our own lives. Not only do Ohioans no longer have a duty to retreat under the law, they can use lethal force, not just a firearm, anywhere they are legally allowed to be if they fear great bodily harm. Lethal force is justified if you have an honest and reasonable fear that you're in immediate danger of death or great bodily harm. You have a right under the current law to protect yourself. Not a single Democrat in the Ohio House or Senate voted for the bill, including State Senator Teresa Fetter, who cast a no vote. This law, in my opinion, gives permission to shoot first, ask questions later. Fetter says she voted against the bill after hearing concerns from communities of color. This law allows an excuse for white people who are fearful of people of color to go ahead and act on your fear. Sheila Bradshaw agrees. That I believe that this is going to affect uh, communities of color, black and brown people more than others, but I truly believe that the blood is going to be on, is on our governor's hand, and this is going to affect all communities. Most law enforcement unions and the Ohio Prosecuting Attorneys Association testified against the bill, calling it a blow to public safety. Bill prohibits the jury from considering whether the person could have retreated. But a jury is going to look at whether or not the use of lethal force is reasonable. You can't, this is not a get out of jail free card. In order to use lethal force, the law requires that you are not the aggressor. You had reasonable belief you needed to use lethal force. It was proportional to the threat, and there was no reasonable opportunity to get away. If you're in a situation where you honestly believe that your life is about to end, there shouldn't be any additional legal requirements for you to consider at that time. That's really giving the attacker more rights than you have. More than half of the U.S. has a no-duty-to-retreat bill. Ohio becomes the 36th state. For people like Sheila Bradshaw, she says what may be good for some states doesn't mean it's right for Ohio. We think we've seen blood. You know, recently, we haven't seen anything yet. Kevin Landers, 10TV News.
We have an update on the early race to fill Senator Rob Portman's seat once he retires. Dr. Amy Acton says she will not run for Senate in 2022. The former Ohio Department of Health director had been exploring the option of running. She became the face of Ohio's early pandemic response. Acton didn't give an exact reason for that decision. However, Cleveland businessman Bernie Moreno launched his Republican campaign for the seat. In his campaign video, he promised to fight socialism in the U.S. According to his website, his platform hits on cancel culture, as it's called, and not taking money from corporate PACs. Former Ohio Treasurer Josh Mandel and former Ohio Republican Party Chair Jane Timken have also entered the race. So far, no Democrats have announced their candidacy. Well, it's been a month since President Biden signed the American Rescue Plan. The $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill gave people another stimulus check, a child tax credit, and gave a boost to state efforts to vaccinate people against COVID-19. There's so much in this bill that many people, in fact, have questions about what's covered. Congresswoman Joyce Beatty talked about the impact of this plan in Ohio. We also put information out, not just to share people that, for example, in Ohio, in my district, that we've gotten $19 million for community uh, health centers. We tell them where they are. So now people in those communities know, oh, they have money and they have programs because we tell them what the programs are. So now the constituents uh, know where to go. Members of Upper Arlington's Asian community said Lieutenant Governor John Husted asked to reschedule a meeting with them. Members of his community spoke out after he called COVID-19 the Wuhan virus in a tweet last month. The lieutenant governor says he needed to reschedule the meeting because of a scheduling conflict. A new date has not yet been finalized. Several Central Ohio school districts are getting a boost to help increase diversity in their staff. Up next, a look at how Bexley schools will use this new grant money from the state. Plus, would you like to pay $15 a month for high-speed Internet? That's the deal 1,000 Ohio families got this week. A look at where this broadband expansion project goes next. These are unprecedented times. Challenging how the YMCA works to strengthen community as we have for nearly 170 years. But we've always found ways to help people and communities in times of crisis. Right now, Ys across the country are providing emergency child care, shelter, food programs, and outreach to seniors. But we can't do it alone. Whether you're connected to the Y or have a fond Y memory, we need you to stay with us. Reach out to your local Y today and stay with us for a better us. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. The Bexley School District received a $70,000 grant from the Ohio Department of Education to create diversity within the staff, their teachers, and faculty. 24 districts in the state were selected, five right here in central Ohio. To implement strategies, they're looking at recruitment and retention, providing mentoring, professional development, and listening to several voices. So we're going to start with something called a listening tour, um, where we're able to kind of hear from um, current faculty, um, hear from um, folks in the area, as well as pre-service teachers of color, about what types of things they uh, feel are important for them to have when coming to a district like Bexley. The core group that will oversee the grant is going to consist of both staff, students, and community members. The push to bring broadband access to more Ohioans is getting stronger. Governor Mike DeWine and Lieutenant Governor John Husted launched a pilot program in East Cleveland. It will connect people with reliable, low-cost, high-speed Internet. 
This is especially important for people working and learning from home in the pandemic. We have too many Ohioans in urban areas, too many Ohioans in rural areas who simply do not have access um, to the Internet, who do not have the broadband, uh, and their families suffer, their children suffer. And the truth is that in the world we live in today, in 2021, if you cannot access that, you cannot fully participate in society today, economically, educationally, and other ways. And so one of our main goals, Lieutenant Governor and mine, is to make sure that we have every day more and more people who have that access. Families will pay $15 a month for 50 megabytes per second download and 10 megabytes per second upload. The first phase of the project includes 1,000 households. The plan is to double that number. Early voting is underway for the May primaries. Turnout for primaries usually low, but Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose says it's a good idea to make sure you are set to go to make your vote count. Everybody seems to pay attention to uh, the race for the White House, and that's important. But those races for the schoolhouse and the courthouse really matter just as much. And there are a lot of important issues on the ballot on May 4th. Here are some of those issues that will be on the May ballot. Upper Arlington will decide on whether the city should build a new community center. Franklin and Mifflin townships have police levies on the ballot. And three local school districts have tax renewals or a proposed bond issue on their ballots. We thank you all so much for joining us here on Face the State today. Remember, if it affects you, your family, and Ohio, we are here to make sure those accountable face the state. That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Our connections make powerful things happen, uniting individuals and communities. We are Rotary. We are people of action. And together, we turn great ideas into reality by accessing our networks, our experience, and the best of ourselves to make a difference. Around the world, Rotary brings leaders together to build new friendships and to solve problems. Like in Austria, where generations work side by side to build sustainable housing and community centers. In India, volunteers run a mobile blood bank to help provide a steady blood supply for their local community. And in Taiwan, people are working hard to get vulnerable citizens the support and services they need. With over one million members, we know what people can do when they come together. Take action with us. Find out more at rotary.org slash action. The stigma of addiction is destroying lives across the country, preventing our loved ones from getting the help they need. We are Shatterproof, a national nonprofit dedicated to ending the stigma and devastation addiction causes families. We are changing laws, creating a community of support, and providing evidence-based resources for prevention, treatment, and recovery. Stigma shatters lives. Rise up against addiction now so another life isn't lost. Get involved at shatterproof.org slash rise up. Wherever you call home, the sounds of wildlife connect you with the greater family of life. 
I'm Ed Begley, Jr., and when you see habitat being destroyed, you know that wild animals are losing their homes, the greatest threat to their survival. The Humane Society Wildlife Land Trust offers a humane solution, helping private landowners to protect habitat as permanent safe havens for wildlife. Your voice can speak for wildlife and their homes. Visit the Humane Society Wildlife Land Trust at wildlifelandtrust.org. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and joining me via Zoom, a couple of folks from the Versity Blood Center of Ohio. It's Heather Seaver, Area VP and Director of Donor Services, and Katie Wolf, Account Representative for Donor Recruitment. How are you? Doing great. Thanks, Dave. Doing really Thanks well. T- Thanks for talking to us. Uh, uh, Heather, let's start with you. Tell me about what Versity is. Yeah, so at, at Versity, we are we're blood health innovators, and you know we're passionate about improving the lives of of our patients and helping our community healthcare partners thrive. So Versity is the fifth largest blood provider in the country. We serve more than two hundred hospitals, but locally we do serve uh, the Wexner Medical Center here at Ohio State University. And you know Wexner Center uh, has one of the largest cancer hospitals in the mid in the Midwest, and they also have a level one trauma center. So they need lots of blood. They actually use about six. 50,000 units of blood annually. So um, it's it's really special to think that if you know if you come to Versity and make a do- donation, you know, you're really saving a life right a life within your community, maybe even a family member or a friend who's been, you know, in an accident or has to have surgery or or has cancer. And Katie as an account representative for donor recruitment, what does that mean? So what that means is um, my job is solely to focus on, well not solely, but to focus on planning these blood drives and getting out into the community to get our partners that want to help um, host a blood drive and get donors uh, to come out. Um, they're always offering incentives um, because blood is needed more than ever right now. And Heather, uh, there is, uh, from what I understand, a great need for blood, not just to, even in central Ohio. I've seen that that's kind of becoming a problem around a lot of areas of the country and elsewhere in Ohio. Yeah, Versity is down, you know, more than 40% in donations compared to the first quarter from last year from schools and businesses. And, you know, this is really because of the ongoing challenge of the COVID-19 pandemic. And so, you know, people have been asked to stay home, you know, businesses, schools and organizations have been shut down. So they're canceling drives. And in Ohio, 100% of our blood donations do come from our mobiles. And so we go out into the community and we collect at, you know, convenient sites for our donors. So, you know, their workplaces, their places of worship, their schools, and, and those are all being closed. They're either closed or, you know, some have reopened, but even the ones that have reopened, you know, it's limited uh, to visitors, access for visitors. And so, you know, despite uh, the the decrease in, in blood drives and blood donations, patients are still having surgery. There's still accidents, you know, people still have cancer and they in they need blood and so um you know it, there is a shortage and so we're asking people to come out and donate it seems like the last year would have really been chaotic to try to keep up although i suppose that hospitalizations outside of covid are probably down which might have helped some but scheduling all this and getting volunteers to come in that that must have been a real headache it's a daily challenge um you know and it, it's all about educating 
the populations on the urgency and the need. Um, and, you know, the one simple question that people say, why have you not donated ever? And you know what their answer is? I've never been asked. So it's really getting out there and asking and telling your coordinators that I work with at the several um, accounts that I have throughout the community to say, hey, come out and donate. It's, it's that ask. It really is right now. And what kind of uh, safety protocols are being followed right now at blood drives? So, uh, you know, for safety, we are abiding by the FDA and the CDC um, protocols. You know, we are asking everybody that comes and all of our staff do wear masks. Um, We do take their temperature at the door um, and we are practicing uh, social distancing. So, you know, it's, you know, giving blood and blood donation um, during the pandemic is it's not only safe, but it is essential. In terms of the the procedure itself, how how involved is that? If somebody has never done it before, how long from the time they go in the door to the time they leave does it take? How do they feel after they give blood, that kind of thing? It's very uh, simple process. It takes less than an hour. Um, from the beginning to the end, you're literally in there for about 45 minutes in all actuality. Uh, you register, you do a mini survey, then you go into a mini physical where they test for your iron to protect, you know, all the donors to make sure that they have the correct iron, blood pressure, all that um, jazz. And then um, if they qualify, they'll go into the phlebotomy chair. Literally, that process only takes five to 15 minutes. It's a very, very quick process once you're in the phlebotomy chair. And then you'll go and have a nice snack uh, for 15 minutes. Once you have that snack, we just want to make sure there's no reaction. Um, and you feel good. A, you feel like you've accomplished something huge. Um, one pint saves three lives. So one unit is very impactful for 45 minutes of your time. That is Katie Wolf, Versity Blood Center of Ohio's account representative for donor recruitment. Also talking with Heather Seaver, Area VP and Director of Donor Services. Heather, once uh, blood is collected, where does it go? Yeah, so um, after it's collected, uh, we send it to a lab and it has to be cleaned. And after it's cleaned, it actually goes to our community hospitals. And that's why, you know, what we're so proud of at Versity is that you are really helping a community member. So, it, you know, if you're donating in Columbus, it's going to Wexner. And so you're helping, you know, patients who have cancer, you're helping uh, patients who just had surgery or people who have been in accidents. So um, it's going to to your local community hospitals, which is really special to know that you're saving lives right within your community. And we hear statistics about so many people that can be impacted by one donation. How does all that work and, and how is the blood used? Yeah. So, you know, as Katie mentioned, we do say that one donation or, or one pint can save up to three lives. And and that's because when you donate whole blood, it can be separated into three different products. It, it can be separated into red blood cells uh, and then separated into either plasma um, or platelets. And so those are the different donations you can give. And so, you know, if you donate red blood cells, you might be saving, you know, accident victims, um, surgical patients, people with anemia. If you are donating platelets, those are used a lot of time to treat leukemia or other cancer patients. Um, If you donate plasma, it's often necessary for uh, patients who are suffering from burns or shock. And so um, when we say, you know, come in and donate, those are those are the different donations you can make and the different people that you are saving. 
And Katie, there are some folks who just about make a career out of giving blood, right? I mean, there are some people who are oh, yeah. longtime donors. It's amazing. It really is. And they're proud. Um, and and I, I am proud out for them because they get a donor ID when you donate and they can see how many uh, pints they've donated, how many gallons in a lifetime. And it's amazing when you meet a donor who's like, I've been donating for 21 years and I have four gallons under my belt and I have this coin for this. And it's, I mean, it's just something to celebrate. Um, and how many lives you really impacted through that time. What about age restrictions or health restrictions preventing people from giving blood? So um, age restrictions, you have to be at least 16 years of age and then it's up from there. 17 and up, you do not need a consent form. Um, 16, you would need a parental consent form signed, uh, but it's the same process once you have that form signed. With health restrictions, I would say, you know, people uh, have this idea that, oh, I'm diabetic, I can't donate. That's not the case. If your diabetes is under control, it's, it's really okay. You're allowed to donate. Oh, I take aspirin. Again, that's okay, depending on the um, milligram you take, as well as um, letting the phlebotomist know that, hey, this is something I take daily. That way they can tag that um, as somebody that has aspirin because they don't want to give that to somebody that's a trauma victim because, you know, if they're bleeding out, that's a blood thinner. You know, so we were very cautious of um, when we do our mini physicals, those kind of questions will arise to protect, A, the donor as well as the, the reciprocant of the donation. Yeah, and Dave, I do want to mention, you know, to you know, most people can donate. I mean, like Katie said, some people think they can't because you know maybe they have di- diabetes or maybe they had cancer, and um, but a lot of times you can donate. Um, and I also want to mention, you know, with the vaccination, I know a lot of people are going out, which is great, and getting the vaccination. Um, you can still donate if you got the vaccination. You just have to wait two full days um, after you received it to donate. Okay, and uh, Katie, what about events coming up? Well, we've got some great drives coming up, and I would love to see the community support. Um, we have the Land Grant Brewing Company, which is in Franklinton on April uh, 22nd from 2 to 6. Uh, then we are at the Hofbrau House uh, April 28th from 2.30 to 6.30. Then we'll be at the Avecha Event Center. So there's a winery and an event center, and uh, that's in the German Village area. It's going to be from 2 to 6. That is also sponsored by the Central Ohio Youth Baseball League. And then we also have um, Crafted Culture, uh, another brewery out in Gahanna. That will be on, on May 3rd. So some are on buses. Uh, if you have time, you can swing by and do a drive on or uh, donate on a blood bus. Or um, there are some in-house spaces if you're more cautious and you want to go that route. But we follow 100% safety protocols on all blood drives. For more information and, you know, if you want to get involved, go to versity.org. That's V-E-R-S-I-T-I dot org. And, and check us out. Um, there's a list of local drives, more than I, I actually mentioned, um, because every donation counts. Okay. And Heather, mm-hmm. anything else you want to add? I guess the only other thing, you know, is just, you know, explaining the importance uh, of giving blood because there's no substitute, you know, for blood. And every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs blood. And for that person, it could be a difference uh, of life and death. And so, um, you know, we're just asking people to, to go out and donate because, 
in less than, you know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, you can make a, a donation and you, you can save up to three people's lives. So it's a, it's a really special thing. That's again, Heather Seaver, Area VP and Director of Donor Services and Katie Wolf, Account Representative for Donor Recruitment. They're both with Versity Blood Center of Ohio. Thanks so much to both of you for joining us today. Thanks, Dave. I Thank really you. appreciate your time. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan, heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM, that's 1460 ESPN Columbus, and Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM, Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.